0: It's turn to be afraid. Are you a fan of things that go bump in the night? Chills up your spine, paralyzed by fright, thrilled by horror, at the center of a chat. Then welcome to the nerds from the crib podcast. Thank you very much for joining us here on Nerds from the Crypt, the podcast that reviews your favorite horror movies, series, and books, as well as interview, interview indie creators about their upcoming and new work. Um, I'm your host, Saul.
1: And I'm the co-host, David.
0: How you been, David?
1: I've been doing good, really good. I'm teaching a summer course at a local middle school, so I'm teaching kids reading and writing with comic books.
0: Oh, that's cool. That's cool. But um, let's go ahead and just jump into today's episode. Um, we are going to go ahead and be talking to Lee Franklin, the author of Berserker Green Hell, and um, she's with us already. So, how are you doing today, Lee?
2: Yeah, g'day. I'm doing really good, actually. Um, book just released yesterday, so I'm pretty excited still.
0: Yeah, that, that's a. It's awesome to be able to have you within the first couple of days of, of the release.
2: Yeah, it's very cool. Very, very cool.
0: So, we we what we like to go ahead and do is get your a little bit more of a background um, with you. So, yeah. um, what would you like oh, to tell uh, us about about how you grew up as um, liking either horror or liking writing?
2: Well, I was reading since the age of four. I pretty much read everything I could get my hands on, but horror was definitely movies. The first I was born in '79. The first horror movie I saw was Predator. I think, when that came out. And then it was all into the Freddy Krueger, watched all of those series. Pretty much horror and anything action. I was a real 80s action kid, anything with Arnold Schwarzenegger or Stallone. Um, Yeah, not the typical Disney princess girl at all. (laughs) No, definitely not typical. Um, And actually, the only horror movie that gave me nightmares as a kid would have been the monster squad i don't know if Uh, anyone remembers um, that yeah Uh, yeah but for some reason that was the only one that gave me nightmares so um i guess i just feel at home with horror and and i love action lots of high action
0: okay so you you told us that you um you grew up watching the horror movies predator i actually and that's actually funny because i was telling david that the um and not to jump into the book right away, but the the book itself kind of reminded me, had a little bit of a of a predator vibe.
2: Yeah, it was definitely one of my um inspirations, I guess you could say. Um I always thought of it a love child between Predator and Apocalypse now.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, with and, a um, Australian feel to it.
0: <laughs> so so you were watching the horror movies since since you were young?
2: Yeah. Um Every time I had access visits with my dad, pretty much, it was what we'd do. We'd have um, binge nights and movie nights. So, yeah.
0: As far as reading, did you get into that or is that something that's mainly in the movies?
2: Um, I haven't actually read too much horror. Um, I've only really been writing for the last two and a half years and I've started reading more horror since then but it's mainly been inspired from the movies. Um, With the books I read, it's everything pretty much mostly historical fiction, believe it or not. (laughs) Um, uh, Lots of, I like action books like uh, Matthew Riley um, kind of stuff, lots of Bryce Courtney. But yeah, horror's never really been influential in my reading kind of thing. It's something I'm discovering more and more and, Maybe I could have read a bit more of it before writing it, but it seems to work pretty well for me anyway.
0: Well, I think it, uh, for some people, not having that big background in in the horror, um, I guess novels and so forth, kind of gives them, a, I feel like, a fresher perspective when they're writing.
2: Yeah, I, c- I could see how that would um, definitely happen because, yeah.
0: You're, you're, not, you're not relying back onto er, er, everything that you've uh, read in the back or maybe even, um, what's it called, um, referencing something that you that you might have read, I guess?
2: Yeah, definitely not. I, I think to a large <laughs> degree that does make it easier. And what your perception of horror is mm-hmm. as well is completely different as well. I mean, it's such a broad genre. Um, but if I started reading a certain type of horror, I might have been stuck in the frame of thinking that's how horror should be rather than just how it comes to me naturally.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. And especially authors like, well, like like Stephen King, he's got his own very distinct style of writing. Dean Koontz has his distinct style of writing. And yeah. it, I guess it's best for you to get your own, your own footing and get you know um, how, how you write.
2: Yeah. Um, actually, I did read a few Dean Koontz as a teenager, but I never actually considered it horror, So maybe my horror gauge was broken back then.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So what got you into writing?
2: Um, Well, I actually always, if I could join the circus, um, I always wanted to be a writer. Um, And I always wrote poems and lots of letters and things like that. And in year nine, I was told by my English teacher, forget it, you're never going to be a writer. So I kind of put it on the back shelf and started bumming through school. And then my, um, what you would call my college English teacher, I guess would be the closest relation for you guys. She said, um, why aren't you doing English and English literature? You should be writing. So um, I kind of got a bit more inspired and kept on with my writing poems. And then life happened. I joined the army. Um, became a mum and it was kind of just spent all my time reading, just reading everything I could get my hands on. And then um, I read The Da Vinci Code of All Books and it just triggered off a a what-if idea. And I was talking to my partner at the time and he said, well, write it, write the story. So I said, okay. Um, But I didn't know where to get started and I've got about 100,000 words in first chapters for that story (laughs) but when I moved to the UK a couple of years ago I was able to get into writing seriously and my friend posted a um thing on Facebook for submissions I thought oh yeah I know horror I could give that a go give it a bash so I put in my first story and it was a pretty typical just straight up splatterfest, kill house story um They accepted it, which was really amazing. Um, But then they actually went under and then um, it actually ended up getting picked up by Hellbound Books for the Graveyard Girls Anthology.
1: Is that how you got connected to um, getting this book made through Hellbound?
2: Um, I actually approached them about this book um, before I submitted to that anthology. Um, I, I sent... I sent the publisher, James, um, a 17,000 word story. (laughs) It was a really odd size. It was the first thing and the biggest thing I'd ever written to that date. And he said, I absolutely love it, but I want more. (laughs) So he sent it back to me and I've spent the last 18 months pretty much restructuring it, (laughs) learning how to structure, Um, and, and creating creating the book that you have, yeah, in front of you. So it was if James hadn't have given me that chance and said, I love it, but give me more, then, yeah, I might not have gotten this far.
0: The uh, the whole process is always uh, amazing to me because I kind of always knew that that was kind of like the process. But since we've really started doing this, this part of the podcast, I've really learned that what goes in, to begin with is not necessarily what comes out um no it's a big, part of the big changes that happen along the way
2: yeah it was um it was a massive learning curve for me i mean the, the story originally came from a submission call for an anthology of regarding nightmares and i thought well wait a minute i could do something about ptsd in soldiers and then um it kind of grew from a short story and the idea just kept on I kept on having what ifs, what ifs, what ifs?" and that's how it kind of got to where it was and then when I got that feedback from James, I thought, all right, I really need to get my teeth into this and see how I can make it work sort of thing um, and and what it's what it's grown into I, th- I think it's more than just a horror story. I think it's beyond the gore i think I think there's um a real a real sort of story in there and yeah, it and, and, with quite a few themes
0: yes and and going into the into the book itself it's like like you said it's not only just your horror that you you would do and think about it's like real life horror and, and stuff that's going in, in you know about around these soldiers that are just trying to to get away from what's going on <laughs> um well, well i'll go ahead and let you let you um
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think war, I was in the army for 10 years, but I haven't actually, I've been on considered active service in East Timor. Um, But I still think that war is one of the greatest horrors. It's something we do to ourselves. It's something that we're generally helpless having a role in. It's pretty much you go here, you do that. Um, So, and there's just so much from it that, that is just horror, your worst nightmares, and even the follow-on effects from that throughout the throughout the following period when you return back home. It's really quite traumatic, and, and people just don't escape that kind of hell. So for me to paint it as horror, I was just kind of calling it the truth, what it really is like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I don't think war should ever be glorified so it was pretty easy to keep it real
1: yeah i was just gonna say um reading the first little bit of it it was clear that like you must have been in in the war in some facet because of all the the wonderful background um personal knowledge and what do you think you learned the most about writing through pulling from that personal experience and creating this story
2: i think i learned it's definitely easy to write what you know um me that whole part of it came um quite quite simple when I was in the I was in the Australian army for 10 years I was essentially in logistics but I got deployed um to East Timor twice once under the United Nations and um one under the Australian banner Um, both those times we had six months of lead-up training which was very much um Infantry style based training, solid little manoeuvres. I fly, I got qualified on pretty much most weapons you can fire. Um, And yeah, I I had a lot of, a lot of ground training in that and I was out on patrols. I was used as an interpreter. So I kind of was able to connect with what it must have felt like for the soldiers in the Vietnam.
0: David and I were actually talking about a little bit beforehand, and that was one of the things that we, we noticed that it, there was very technical um, terms, not not too technical to where we don't we would get lost, but it was very you can tell, like you said, you can tell that you're you're part of the army based on based on how it was, how it was written. Uh, now, was there something that it was hard for you to write based on you know based on what you've seen or based what you had previously known about war?
2: No, um, pretty much my own experience. I was. I was- kind of protected. Um, I was always in the sort of rear echelon, but I did I did go on patrols. But, no, I didn't find anything sort of hard to write about. I mean, it wasn't easy killing mates off. Um, but, unfortunately, that's the way the story had to go. So, yeah.
0: So let's go ahead and get to the premise of, of the story. We have this group of... I mean, they're considered soldiers, right? But they're more like, I guess, like, are they considered more like black ops or what What? what would you consider them?
2: Um, they're kind of just a group of um, guys would have gathered to do a job that nobody else really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. They all had, they all have like little specialist skills. They weren't like, they were off the books. Yeah, I guess in that regard, yeah, you would call them black ops because nobody really wanted to own them. Um and they, did, they were just moved around from whatever they'll put to whatever unit was in the area saying, yep, yep they belong to them. They're just a, another patrol sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: They go around um, picking up the, the dog tags of fallen soldiers and pretty much just making sure there's not, not nothing, nothing too serious was going on right now uh, over, over and beyond what normal war w- would be considered.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, If a village was raised, they would go in and have a look around and get an idea of what actually happened, um, record everything, and then they'd just bump that up the line. They never knew what happened with it. Mm -hmm. They didn't know why it was being done. They just went in and and got the information, if there was any information, and, and bumped it along.
0: Yeah, and we do get a couple of, of uh, I guess, insights on what's happened in the past. And uh, I won't go into it in detail because I think I feel like it, it kind of gives you an idea of where the protagonist is coming from and how, how I guess, the values that the that protagonist holds. At this point here is where, I guess, we see some, they guess, I guess, they don't know what it is. It's a little bit I, I, get, I don't know, like I said, I don't want to give too much away, but there's uh, these kind of like footprints that they're not too sure of what it is and um, they're trying to figure out what's going on in that area.
2: Yeah, they're definitely um, getting suspicious about something's not right, something's not normal, this isn't what they're expecting to find at all. Um, then, yeah, things start to fall apart for them pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, I was I was, uh, reading it and I'm like, man, uh, I was in the first 40 pages and there was a a lot of stuff happening already um, within just the first couple of pages. And well, not even just the first couple of pages and going into almost half of the book, a lot of uh, just, Bombs or crashing helicopters, <laughs> uh, you know things just going on around them that they just have to just just you know either either get around or just deal with because uh, uh not only that they have this this creature that they don't know what it is and they're trying to con- conjecture what what it might be. Um, I think one of them says that it might be some sort of like a bigfoot kind of creature. Um, yeah, and you know. Did you look up maybe legends in that area or how did you come up Um, with this this creature? How
2: did I come up with the Batutu Bigfoot? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did actually. um, I googled mythical creatures of Vietnam and that came up and there was actually reports from American soldiers and um, New Zealand soldiers of sightings of this um, Batutu, this kind of giant ape creature which was um, – I think they described it differently to how I did. Theirs was more like an orangutan sort of orange. Um, I just changed mine up a little bit. Yeah. But um, that was definitely definitely fun, and it just keeps them – every time you Google something or get more information to research, it's like, oh, that's really interesting. Oh, <laughs> And can I tie that in? Oh, wait a minute. That's really cool. And then you get to a point where, well, it's crazy enough, just <laughs> – stick with what you have <laughs>
0: <laughs> i think it's interesting how uh no matter where you go in the world there's seems to be some sort of like bigfoot type of uh creature that people see or people have legends about
2: yeah um it's it's i really like that um my eldest son is absolutely crazy about bigfoot and that finding bigfoot to see on tv right uh-huh. um i've probably got a few a few glances a few ideas from that as well, but um, I also like to take people's perspective on things and and just make them think. Well, what if? I like that question. What if?
1: Mm-hmm. Were you able to talk to any uh, soldiers during the, the writing process who might have seen monsters like this or about experiences seeing things, things like that, or or your own people you'd work with?
2: No, um, I did try to reach out a few times to collaborate, especially with um, former soldiers, because I wanted to get it as correct as possible. Um, so I didn't actually have any success with that. Um, I just did as much research as I could. I was fortunate enough to get um, feedback from the um, Southwest Land Council for Aboriginals, Australian Aboriginals because I wanted um, because the main character is actually um, biracial is half Aboriginal and half white Australian, I guess you could say. Um, I wanted to make sure that they were represented correctly in the book as well and their um, their their insight and feelings about certain things ha- that happen in the book or he's asked about in the book, I just wanted to make sure that they were reflected accurately.
0: That's good. That's good to hear. And I think it's important when when you're writing about someone that maybe you're you're not personally tied to. It's good to get that that perspective and make sure that that you're giving them to, you know doing justice to what you're writing.
2: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not trying to write their story, but um, mm-hmm. I I wanted my character to be interesting. Mm-hmm. So and. I was really, really lucky I was able to engage someone who was um, excited to help me with the book. So that was um, really good.
0: As far as um, that Bigfoot, and we're talking about how it's everywhere, and I didn't realize, um, I'm a Mexican-American, and I didn't realize that Mexico actually has their own Bigfoot like mythology and yeah. so forth. So um, when when I was reading this, and I'm like, oh, they 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 have their own ones, well, and that's why I was like, oh man, it's it, it's very interesting how everyone has their own perspective. In, in the Mexican mythology, it's more like there is our protector. Um, okay, but I think feel most of them, mostly the creature is either uh, just kind of out there on his own or anything like that. But it's, it's just interesting to, to keep reading about, about the creature, um, just different perspective, different cultures, how they see that same monster or the same cryptid um, around the world.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, that I'm aware of the Australian Aboriginals don't have such as a Bigfoot kind of creature, but um, the creatures that they do have a. Are- <laughs> Definitely very interesting and makes a really good horror story writing material.
0: They don't have to, they don't have to make up creatures because they have a lot of creatures out there. In the <laughs> world, right.
2: Yeah. Pretty much. If you see <laughs> it, it, could, you go to Australia, you could die.
0: <laughs> they have, they have a, a majority of the, what the top 10 deadliest animals.
2: Um, yeah. The most poisonous snakes, the most poisonous spiders. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. And no.
2: it's, It's funny, I'm living in the UK now, and um, everyone here, they freak out if they see an adder or a little house spider. And my theory is, why? It's not going to kill you. (laughs) If anything, it'll just make you a little bit nauseous, but it's not going to kill you. Why are you freaking out? (laughs) It cracks me up.
0: (laughs) Here in Texas, we have uh, rattlesnakes and we have um, black widows and all that. And right now, actually, on my porch, um, there's, there's a big old ugly looking spider. Um, I don't know if it's poison or not, but I leave it out there because there's a lot of mosquitoes. And I'm like, just help me out here. Just help me out with these mosquitoes. I'll let you yeah. in there.
2: <laughs> Definitely. I mean, that's why I keep so many in my ceiling in England, because they're not going to hurt me. They're just going to kill the bugs.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's what I tell so, myself anyway.
0: <laughs> so um anything else you want to go ahead and uh, talk about the book as like i said i we don't really want to spoil it for anybody so i'll, I'll let you kind of let us uh, lead us of what what information you want us to to know about the book itself
2: um essentially um oh, what do i want you to know about the book <laughs> It's there's there's a lot of action there's a lot of fighting um I think the I think the people in it are pretty real. You're not going to get a Hollywood hero in there, um, and there's definitely some. Oh, gosh, how can I say this?
0: There's no one that who's who's really over the top as far as um, that. You're like, oh, that's not that's not a real person.
2: Um, I I did enjoy writing boots my Texas guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Boots Bodine Perry. Um, I really did enjoy writing him. He, he probably is a bit of a parody, but... Um,
0: Te- Texans are, really. are usually parodied around the world anyway. So
2: That's kind of what I was thinking anyway. Um, if I made him any less, then he probably wouldn't be true to what people would expect kind of thing. Yeah. Um, No, he was a lot of fun to write, actually. I got to my Texas slang um, on my shortcut on my phone (laughs) to write his dialogue. So, yeah, he was definitely a lot of fun. Um, Jacinta Harding is definitely my favourite character. Um, I wanted a woman that would be strong Um, and very probably blinded and determined by what she wants. So, um, but yeah, she's strong and she's sexy up to a point. I
0: think that's an important thing that's happened lately in horror. um, The last couple of years is that, that women are not only just there to be, rescued they're um they can also be heroes they can also be um uh, badass they can they can they can do more than than just be there for for the for the main protagonist to, to come and save and 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 rescue
2: yeah definitely and um Jacinta hiding doesn't need rescuing from anybody really she um I think most people need rescuing from her <laughs> <laughs> she's um Yeah, I was inspired, actually, from um, ACDC um, and In Excess, Suicide Blonde, when I was writing her quite a bit, um, to try and get her character, because I'm not a naturally strong, assertive person. um, But I think I was able to um, hopefully sell that in her, that she knows exactly what she wants and how she wants to go about getting it, so...
1: Yeah, I'm an aspiring writer myself. I was kind of curious in regards to the things that influenced this story. You talked a lot about uh, Monster Squad and Predator. I was wondering, um, are there any horror movies or scary movies um, uh, from Australia that you grew up um, as a childhood, uh, as a kid growing up watching um, that weren't from America that sort of influenced uh, your your writing?
2: Um. One of the first Australian horror movies I watched was Razorback. And it's about that giant boar that goes through this country town just killing everyone. they um, recently done a kind of remake of it called Boar, um, playing on, on Netflix, I think. Um, I think it's like five times the size of the original Razorback. But, yeah, that definitely, um, the whole chase and action scene through the abattoir was was. It did make an impact on me, the 1980s horror. So, yeah, and special effects from Australia.
1: That's so interesting because, like, in every culture, there's there's stories that we create to scare ourselves, but I think there's also, like, pretty distinct uh, characteristics to each culture's way they want to tell those stories.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, if you look at a lot of Australian horror stories, a lot of it's um, set around the the vastness and how empty Australia is. If you look at Wolf Creek, um, mm, the greatest yeah. horror in that, I guess, is how easily you can go missing out here. Sure, and, and what really does happen to all these people that go missing.
0: And it's based on two different um, serial killers that were out there um, doing these these killings out in Australia. Yeah. Um, I, don't know, I don't know how, how true they kept to their, to their killings, but I know that the, that character was based on two different people out there.
2: Yeah, it was... Um, Definitely inspired by some good Australian talent. <laughs> but, um, yeah, um, the recent movie Cargo as well, um, that's a zombie movie that's come out. Um, that's, that's set in how vast and wide open the Australian Outback is as well. So, um, yeah, I guess in America everything's kind of around the corner from each other. Like you have stretches. But here, it's you can you can go three or four, five hours without seeing another car on some of our back roads. Maybe wow. a whole day.
0: That's how it is uh, here in in Texas. Uh, here in the big cities, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna find a car every every couple of of um, well, I will say just every couple of feet, <laughs> but um, but when you start going towards let's say um, West Texas, you can go. Well, it takes like eight hours to go from the um, from let's from where I'm at, which is San Antonio, to close to the Panhandle. So you're driving eight hours, and you're not even out of Texas yet. And on yeah. the on that route, you will sometimes get to a point where you're not, not seeing any cars. All you see is just this flatland. All of a sudden it goes into hills. All of a sudden it goes into um, plateaus and stuff. And then all of a sudden you see these big old windmills. So you know there's people around. You just can't see them anywhere <laughs> close by. Just
2: can't see them anywhere. Yeah. In yeah. Australia, driving from, I drove from WA, Western Australia, Perth, um, to Sydney. I've also driven from Perth to Darwin. Um, you're looking at 14 hours to get out of the state. Oof. Wow. Driving. Um, and it's just, it takes you about an hour and a half to get out of the suburbs, and then that's tops, and then it's just flat, flat and endless flat.
1: That's so wild. Yeah, I live on the west coast of America in Oregon, and there's, I mean, I live in the big city, and there's no, I mean, I'm just around people in cars. I can't drive anywhere without bumping into somebody else.
2: (laughs) It like here in the UK, it's like you're driving on this country road then all of a sudden a village just pops up in front of you from nowhere. <laughs> it's, <laughs> so, it's really amazing.
0: <laughs> so now that you're in the UK, anything um, there that, that maybe have influenced um, the book as far as the horror-wise?
2: Um, no. Um, a lot of, th- from what I've experienced in UK horror, they tend to trend towards more ghost stories stories mm-hmm. um, nothing pretty much i brought the story with me from australia so um, maybe in the sequel there might be a little bit more english influence but um i think i'll be keeping keeping the australian very much in australia and we might actually be making a um a visit to america in the next story
0: oh nice nice so that so this um so you have a, a plan for the future as far as the set of books. You have um, what you already have it lined out, or you kind of have just have an idea.
2: Um, I've got the next one definitely lined out. Mm-hmm. Um, Going to be start writing that in September after my wedding, and okay. then I have the third one kind of plotted out as well. So nice. yeah,
0: I think Even. it's it's um, it's great for fans to know yeah. that when they get to know the characters, that there's going to be more coming out. Um, yeah. That way they can, they can like be Invest just. Yeah. And, and they'll be more, they'll be more excited to see like, oh, what's, what's going, going
2: on from here. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I expect my next book will be even bigger. So um, lots more action as well.
0: Yeah, um, I don't know how
2: that's possible, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was saying this. Th- this book is not very it's, it's not huge, but no. In, but you get into the action really quick and there's a lot of action in in a small amount of of, of 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 I guess of pages, I guess. Um and you do get a lot of of you don't you don't get bored. <laughs>
1: um
2: No. Um, I guess having three sons, I've learned to to keep the ball moving pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I I, I will probably tend to get bored if I'm writing a long passage of deep ponderance. And if I'm getting bored, I imagine my audiences as well.
0: Yeah, these, um, these uh, characters don't get any any um, any moment of of respite.
2: No, no. Um, I think my biggest inspiration for that actually comes from the Australian Marauder, Matthew Riley. He does lots of action adventure stories, kind of like Indiana Jones on steroids
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, kind of work and I think I write at a pace akin to him sort of thing, so um, yeah, he's been a pretty big influence in it.
0: As uh, far as other other work, uh, do you have anything else that you're thinking of of doing or anything else that you might have uh, collaborated on or anything like that?
2: Um, I I have a um, actually historical fiction trilogy planned as well um, that I'm going to start after I do this. I've got the next five years of writing plotted out. Oh, that's, um, that's good. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a once again it's a pretty high action um, ancient. Well, I guess you could call it ancient history um, trilogy. Um, they call it her story now. You know the change of the female version of history. Nice little sort of thing. So, um, I want to bring forward some really strong women in that cast as well.
0: Is there anything that we're forgetting to talk about? Anything that you'd like to make sure we we n- mention?
2: No, not that I can think of off the top of my head. I think my David husband gets question? enough mentions. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
0: uh, um, well, yeah, in, anyone you want to go ahead and uh, give a shout out to, give thanks to for uh, helping you with this book?
2: uh yeah i'd love to give my husband marcelo a great big thanks he's um been my my silver spoon um keeping me from being a starving artist and allowing me to do this um he's also been my biggest fan um and the one pushing me keep writing keep writing keep writing don't get distracted (laughs) Keep writing um uh, he's, he's been really amazing. And my sons have put up with me being completely harebrained and living in different worlds all of the time. I'm definitely not getting over of the year from the school. Um, <laughs> I have a fellow horror writer from Ireland, uh, Denise Doyle. She's been a massive support um, and read through copious, copious amounts of drafts getting me ready for this. So, um, yeah, big shout out to... Denise Doyle.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to, to thank you for coming on and sharing um, your process of writing. Do you have any advice for uh, people out there of any age trying to write their own horror stories?
2: Just write it. Um, there's there are rules, um, but don't get tied up in knots about it. Just write down your first draft. Get that first draft done. Then you can go back in and 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 start fixing it. But if you start overthinking everything, you'll stop the creativity, and it just you'll just stop yourself. Um, don't listen to those that are holier than thou that think you need triplicate degrees to do anything. You don't. Just have your story and write it and keep writing.
1: Be yourself. Don't like listen to those holier than thou. <laughs> yeah. <Whatever. laughs> And that's always the hardest part, like you have all these ideas and you overthink them and you're like, I just need to get something down.
2: Exactly, exactly. And um, I know people that have been writing um, for years, but they've never actually produced anything because they keep overthinking it, they keep questioning it, or they don't think it's technically correct. And so they don't produce anything. And, I mean, I'm not trying to prove... Do anything literary I'm trying to produce I'm trying to entertain and and, and share a story um, but I think people get far too wrapped up around the axles um, about the, the technical points and they don't actually just allow themselves to to purge their story wait I mean the first draft um, we often say it's just putting sand in the sand pit um, you can't you can't create a um, a sandcastle, unless you have some sand in there, you need something in there. You need that first draft.
0: One of my favorite um, quotes about um, uh, from Stephen King story was from Dreamcatcher. It says, "No, no bounce, no play." And it's yeah. like, you, what's the point of having a basketball or you know or any type of ball if you're never gonna actually um, bounce the basketball or throw the football or or kick the, the soccer ball or whatever? Um, there's no, there's no point if you never start using it.
2: Yeah, definitely. And um put yourself out there as well. I mean, try submitting um to different different things and anthologies and and editors. Um it it hurts to get a a, a knockback, but you learn something. Mm-hmm. Um I always consider every rejection a step closer to an acceptance. So, um and you know, people who say, I've had a lot of people say, Oh, you've been writing two and a half years. You kind of possibly produced a book already. And it's like, Well, I just just did it. <laughs> I just yeah. didn't overthink it. I just did it.
0: Yeah, well, definitely. People that we've talked to on this podcast, um, there are some that, that have turned out three, four stories in, in a year. And mostly they're, they're mostly comic books, but comic books, just because it's comic book doesn't mean it's a lot. Any easier?
2: To, no, definitely to do.
0: not. Yeah. Um, so, it, it, those people who are able and have the time, I would encourage you all to just continue to, to push on. And if you're writing horror, you can reach out to us. We'll have you on the show.
2: <laughs> <laughs> definitely. No. Um, we need storytellers in the world.
0: Mm. We do. Especially with the with right now, it's nothing but reboots. <laughs> we need new stories. <laughs>
2: well yes there is that as well <laughs> if netflix ring give them my number
1: you'll <laughs> <laughs> be the first we'll call okay cool <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, well actually you know what netflix hulu uh, prime they're they're the ones that are picking up all these uh, original stories and uh-huh. yeah, hollywood is is falling i feel like they're starting to fall behind because they're they're just keeping their their ips and they're not in, expanding um and all these other little independent ones are, are starting to pick up these stories just like exactly. uh i don't know if you've seen any any of the a24 um films um they have i think i think they did uh, autopsy of jane doe they did they done midsummer that just came out i've um,
2: heard
0: about that
2: i just read the house at jack i just watched that one the other day
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: they're doing a lot of um and this is I I don't I don't know if they're considered independent or not but I think they're con- considered independent if they're not one of the big the big houses, right? right. So yeah. Uh, so they they are turning out these awesome horror movies. So you don't have to have you don't have to be tied to these big old, either a big publishing firm or a big um studio to be able to produce something that's great. So
2: Definitely not. And there is some fantastic fantastic stories out there as well. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Um and you might have to dig a bit but no there's there's some really good stuff out there
1: it's always worth digging to find those those gems out there of stories
2: Oh definitely definitely and um when you feel like you're the first one to discover a new author that's really exciting to you find yeah. out or not
0: <laughs> <laughs> well we, I, I feel like um, we, we found some pretty good authors here that may, maybe they're not new but uh that are definitely um independent that have created such great stories um, and if you haven't listened to our episodes, not, not only not only Yuli, but I'm talking about to, to everybody, if you haven't listened to back to some of our other episodes, you'll find independent artists that are just just hitting it out of the park with other stories.
2: Yes. Um, funny you mention, I've got a friend, um, he writes Edwardian fiction and he did a whole series on the Jack the Ripper kind of thing, but from the female perspective. And it was written in a newspaper article that some um, someone for the Big Five had written something along these lines, um, and this hasn't been done before, rada, rada, rada. And my friend just simply sent him all the publications he's made saying <laughs> exactly what they think has not been done before. And it's like, well, wait a minute, it's, it's right here. <laughs>
0: it actually has been done. <laughs>
2: Yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> we uh, <laughs> do you want to give your friend a plug? We'll we'll be more than happy to have Yeah,
2: um, that's uh, John Linwood Grant, and that's the Assassin's Coin. Um, he and the uh, Prostitute's Tale. Um, he he's an amazing blogger as well on Grey Dog Tales.
0: I I think the uh, Jack the Ripper story is how do I say this? Because. I don't I don't like I'm not um one to like give praise to serial killers or mass killers. It's more the story. Um I I, I like to know what happened that caused them to do it rather than to give praise to the actual person, does that make sense? Right. Yeah. The story being
1: told. Yeah. Uh,
2: and and yeah, he his, his way of telling the story is is um more about the women that were living in that time and the situations that they are in. And it's more from that kind of perspective rather than about him per se. Yeah.
0: I think that's a big, uh, should be more important story is the lives of these people who were taken away from us rather than the life of the person who did the, 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 the crime.
2: Definitely. Definitely. Um, and I think, I think that recently speaking, that's something New Zealand did really well with that, um, horrific mass shooting in that mosque. I can't even oh, yeah. remember the gunman's name or anything.
0: Yeah. I, I prefer when they, they don't give nor what, what is that word? I, I have. I with, yeah. <laughs> I struggle with the word sometimes um, to, to the person because that's uh, mostly, I won't say all the time, but for the most part, I feel like they want to come go down in history as being this. And when you take that away from them, you disarm their, their terror.
2: Yeah. Completely. Bit.
0: Yeah,
2: you make them completely insignificant as yep. they deserve to be.
0: Alrighty. Um. I I I think we've covered a lot of of the book, and without giving too much, I I, I would yeah. say definitely re- get the book. Where can people find the 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 book?
2: um the book is on amazon um, i believe it's also on cubo barnes and noble or you can go to the howbound website and access it through there um i think they have a setup link that goes to covers any country so if you want a good military sci-fi action horror um, quite a few genres there um it's i mean i'm a bit biased but i think it's a great read and I'll read it more than anyone else will in history.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and I'll I'll say that like I said, like I said it a couple times already. It's fast action. Um, it it really does um, feel like like you did get some inspiration from Predator, but it's very it's very much its own story.
2: Yeah, it's it's completely different again from Predator, but you can mm-hmm. see the influence there. And the reviews so far have been um, from some quite esteemed authors themselves have been really positive and strong. So I'm excited about that.
0: Well, I'll ask you to send me the links that you want me to make sure to put in the description here for the podcast and I'll make sure to put it on there and definitely give a shout out to anyone that you've given a shout out to here on, on this um, on this episode.
2: All right. Brilliant. Thank you.
0: Um, it looks like we are going to be talking to a couple more um, creators from Hellbound, um, more authors in the next couple of months. So we'll keep you guys up to date with any new books? Any, even if they're older books, I don't, I don't mind um, going back um, and and talking to to people who've written a couple of years ago. But you know, I want to go ahead and just a thank you to to the guys over there at, at Hellbound, the guys and girls at Hellbound for for setting up this this uh, interview with with you, Lee.
2: Yeah, thank you. Um, Hellbound have been absolutely amazing, um, and they're a really great team to work with. And now I'm, I'm honored to be a hellbound author.
0: Well, thank you very much, Lee, for coming on. And I want to thank everybody for joining in um, today for this episode. You guys just uh, remember to go to our website, nerdsftc.com. You'll find all our latest episodes. And I'm continuing to upload our earlier episodes there uh, slowly. It's a bit of a work to do, <laughs> but uh, we're getting there on there.
1: Thank you so much Lee, for coming on. I really appreciated having conversation about the book and writing. Once again, thank you guys for joining us, and we'll see you guys next time.
0: Are you a fan of things that go bump in the night? Chills up your spine, paralyzed by fright. Thrilled by horror at the center of a chat. Then welcome to the Nerds from the Crypt Podcast.